permission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To Roll for initiative. From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, what can we learn from movies to enhance a role-playing experience? I'm Drew, gaming enthusiast. And I'm Ray, film critic. And this episode, we're doing an intermission. That's right, every two weeks, we look back at the movie that we just discussed from two weeks past, or should I say roughly two weeks past, and we have uh, second opinions. What did we miss? Uh, other ideas. We get letters from our listeners, and uh, we do a whole bunch of fun stuff. So let's get to it, shall we? Rafe, last week, uh, your selection was The Lost Boys. And yes, I, it and was. <laughs> I couldn't be happier with it. And we're a little bit uh, later than we normally would be. But let's talk a little bit about The Lost Boys. I think we had a pretty detailed conversation last episode about The Lost Boys. But is there anything that we missed? Anything that you feel like we should have covered then that we can cover now? Well, the the biggest one, which I didn't realize until after we were, not only after we were done recording, but after I was done editing it and went back and listened to the finished product was part of my rationale in picking the Lost Boys was to get into empowered characters. And then we barely touched on the concept of empowered characters. <laughs> That's, that is exactly right. We really didn't. You know, the thing with... Role-playing games, if we're playing kids on bikes, there's a whole section for empowered characters, but not right. every game has that, you know, like uh, the the distinction between the characters that the PCs are playing versus something that is stronger than your regular PCs. And in Lost Boys, of course, when we're talking empowered characters, we're talking vampires, but we, we did discuss last time that you didn't have to specifically be a vampire adventure in order to get, catch the spirit of Lost Boys, but what kind of empowerments do you think would benefit uh, a Lost Boys-inspired game. Well, obviously, your adversaries have powers. Uh, and again, of course, that, yes. that goes into the discussion we did have about defining your vampire mythos. So you need to look at the mythology of vampires as you are establishing it and decide, you know, what, what powers do they have? Can they fly? Can they transform? Uh, is sunlight a weakness? Can they cross running water? You know, all that kind of stuff. And then whatever that is, is also going to be what you adapt into your player character who has been infected or bitten or whatever you want to call it. And we did talk about developing a chart over time, you know, that they gain these powers, they gain this weakness. But all of that is going to start with that whole establishing your vampire mythos. So that's, that's I can't emphasize that enough. I think we emphasized it pretty heavily last time. That's really going to be an important step if you are running a Lost Boys-inspired game. Agreed. And, and I'm, I'm just kind of curious about your opinion on the power level. It, it seems like it might be a bit of a cheat if the PC is transforming into whatever monstrosity we're dealing with is as powerful as the creatures that created them. Because what are we looking at here? Are we thinking half the power, three quarters the power, all the powers, some of the powers, but not others. What would you think feels like... Looking at Michael versus David, for instance, that's sort of our classical matchup for the Lost Boys. Well, how did Michael win if he's not as powerful as David? Like, that's the, that's the kind of question. Right. And, and that's a great question because you also need to be considering, you know, player balance as far as your group goes. That if Drew is the player at my table who drew the short straw and he's been bitten, that I'm not 
suddenly the game isn't just all about Drew and I'm making the other players feel secondary. So you do need to make sure you balance that out in your narrative and in your in your planning as well. But as far as the power level goes, I think we see that in the movie to some degree. You know, Michael has so much time elapse and he can fly, but he can't control it. Like he has no control over it. And I like that element. And then I, how, how does Michael defeat David? Well, he uses David's own powers against him. He does not overpower David by any means. He just, honestly, I think it comes down to luck if you <laughs> really look at how that fight gets resolved. So I, yeah, I would say, I would say a quarter power, maybe as they grow closer to their powers, to, to becoming whatever it is that they're becoming, maybe half power. But the nice thing about <laughs> this version of the Lost Boys, <laughs> which we'll get into more in a little while, but the nice thing about the Lost Boys is the mechanic is there in that they don't fully become a vampire until something has happened. There's an initiation period. In the case of the Lost Boys, it's not until they make their first kill. So in that part of the mythology, there's a full justification for, yeah, you're not as powerful yet because you're not actually a vampire yet. You're just becoming one. I think I have two responses for that. One, um, one of the things that the the enemies in the Lost Boys don't necessarily do is they don't work together as a team. They split up the go chasing um, throughout the house. And by splitting up, they make themselves less powerful. Of course, we have to have our heroes win, right? Like, that's, it would be a real bummer of a movie if uh, all of our human characters get, you know, snacked on. But the fact that you have other PCs to be able to help you out, and in most games, there is some sort of team mechanic, right. that is part of the balance. And an alternative to having a quarter power, because I feel like a quarter power is very hard to logistically create. What if you did something along the lines of, for instance, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons has disadvantage, but you could roll a percentile die. You could make Michael as strong as David, but doesn't have the control. So you could roll 2d10 as percentile dice and say 25 and under, it works exactly the way you want it to. Mm-hmm. And then the more you're off from 100%, the the less successful it is. So you could have, you do exactly what you want. This is sort of borrowing from Monster of the Week, where you do exactly what you want or you exceed your expectations. You don't do it exactly right, so there's going to be some kind of blowback or price you have to pay, or you fail utterly and there's a real issue. So I think I think any of those would work really well for characters. And, and I was just looking at the list from the Kids on Bikes, and a lot of the Kids on Bikes empowered characteristics, and this is kind of funny because... You know, in the game that you and I play together, uh, we don't have a superpowered character. Yep. We've been playing for two years, and and no superpowered character has been introduced that is be able to be manipulated by the PCs. I mean, the character's there. You just haven't gotten to the point where you're going to take control over them. Spoilers, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the powers listed in the actual rulebook for kids on bikes are all psychic-based. Right. And I feel like the vampire is definitely less psychic and more physical. So... Depending on what kind of vampire you use. I mean, there's definitely ideas that vampires have, you know, mental manipulation. They can control minds, that kind of stuff. So it's it's in there, again, depending upon how you define your, your vampire sure. mythology. If you were going straight from something like Lost Boys, there's enhanced strength, enhanced speed, enhanced toughness. So all of those are kind of built in. Um, and I think they work on sort of a burst mechanic where it's like for a, a brief time, your character can do it two or three times as fast as a normal character would. Um, there is some illusory abilities 
So maggots, Michael, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I think I think all of those about cover it. Yeah, yeah. I did. I did have one other thing we missed with discussing the movie because uh, I'm mm-hmm. writing up a piece on the movie, and it dawned on me that there's a major flaw in the film's logic. Oh, please do tell. Okay, so when Max comes for dinner, they uh-huh. invite him in, and that yes. renders all of their tests, all of the, all of his weaknesses, that, that that all is ineffective now because he has been invited in. So the idea being, if you have been invited into a home, you are now invulnerable to all of those weaknesses and such. Wouldn't Michael already have that invulnerability within his own home, and therefore he would not be fading in the mirror? Because it's his own home. Did anybody invite him? So he was well, interesting too. So do you have to be invited invite into your own in? home? I don't know. That's an. Uh, I don't know how you would set that up as a as a house rule, and it would very <laughs> well seriously be a house rule. No, that's interesting. That is an interesting conundrum. Uh, <laughs> I think I think someone would still have to specifically invite you in once you, the transformation occurred. That's how I would rule it. So he can still walk in, but. Garlic would still well. I guess garlic doesn't actually work on anybody in this movie. Not uh, in but that holy movie. water would, and yeah, steak <laughs> through the heart still going to work. Uh, okay, so what did what did we miss on your side? What do you think we missed when we were discussing this? I mean, we missed possibly the most important part of the movie. I mean, when you think of Lost Boys, I think the probably the first thing that you're imagining is going to be Kiefer Sutherland, the image of Kiefer Sutherland as a vampire vampire. But there's another image that has so closely associated with this film that ignoring it is just an act of lunacy on our part. And that is shirtless, oiled saxophone guy. Uh, (laughs) We didn't mention Tim Capello's saxophone from I Still Believe. Like, that curly-locked, shirtless, well-oiled, chain-wearing saxophone guy is such a endearing part. Like, I... What has he been doing recently? Well, I'll tell you what he's been doing recently. Fans of The Lost Boys, uh, he is on uh, Cameo. If you want uh, a sax solo from Tim Capello, it's like 40 bucks. You want him to talk to you for like five minutes and play the saxophone? Play Still Believe? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's the only thing he's got going on in his life. Doesn't matter. Uh, as a true fan of The Lost Boys, I'm trying to imagine something cooler that you could get um, as a gift. I know he was a touring musical artist for a while. Like, he toured with, like, Tina Turner. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She would make a fantastic vampire. Uh, <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> Drew is Drew is creating the uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome slash Lost Boys crossover that nobody knew they needed. Oh. I want Tina <laughs> Tina Turner for head vampire. I'm gonna. I need that shirt. Uh, if you're a graphic designer, just get in touch with me. All right. I, I feel like that's everything that I needed to get covered for that we missed for Lost Boys. How about right. you? Anything else? No, that's that's good for me. I mean, we made a promise, Rafe, that we were not going to just limit this conversation to the original Lost Boys because there are, as we mentioned, there were planned sequels for the Lost Boys, and then there were actualized sequels for the lost boys yes and listeners in the last roughly two weeks i have consumed the lost boys i have read two graphic novels and i have watched two movies and and we're going to spend a moment to kind of quickly very quickly i don't want to i don't want to make this a a lore of the lost boys podcast even though boy <laughs> Don't worry if you want to do another podcast. No, uh, must must not do more podcasts. Uh, let's talk a little bit more. Reign of Frogs, and, and we're going essentially chronologically. Is a graphic novel that 
branches the original Lost Boys to the direct-to-video Lost Boys, The Tribe. It has not been in print for a very long time. It is very expensive. Even digitally, it's actually a little more expensive than I think it needs to be. Did you get a chance to look it over? I did not, because as you said, it is uh, cost prohibitive at this point. Strangely enough, I was going through my comics, and it's a four-part miniseries. I had one of them, like a physical copy of one of them. I, I read that one, and I looked online at synopses. I had read it when it first came out, because I used to run a comic shop, and at the time it came out, I read them all. I didn't think a lot of it, uh, which is probably why I didn't buy it. Uh, now, yeah. as a completionist, especially for kids on bikes, I'm kind of like, oh, do I need to get this? Eventually, it'll probably make its way onto my shelf. But it is essentially explaining how one movie moves into the other. We'll talk about The Tribe in just a moment. Um, ultimately, if you ask me if it's worth tracking down, if you are a true fan of not to be gatekeepy if you're a fan of the lost boys and you really just want to be a completionist fine i don't think there's anything in it that is particularly amazing there is a shot where a vampire essentially spoilers for uh the direct-to-video lost boys films and the and the um corresponding graphic novels the surf punks the surf nazis that the vampires attack when they're trying to turn michael uh, one of them survives um the attack and crawls into the ocean and fights and drains a shark. That two or three pages is pretty brilliant. <laughs> and I did reference that the Widow Johnson does turn out to be a head vampire. That's a brilliant idea. So that's those are the two highlights of that. I think that's that about covers it. Okay. Uh, let's talk about The Tribe. Did you get a chance to watch Lost Boys, The Tribe? I did not. I have read the uh, synopsis on it, and I've uh, talked with some other friends about it, and the, the general consensus was it was disappointing because it, the characters that carry over from Lost Boys are secondary. Yeah. That essentially, in a lot of ways, it's trying to do Lost Boys over again just with some of the supporting characters and a cameo. Yes. And, and that's not incorrect. Um, it is... A real bummer of a movie. I hate to poo-poo anyone's creative projects, because I'm sure the people who worked on this were probably fans of Lost Boys, um, and a grim uh, R-rated reboot. Uh, and when I say R-rated, I know that the original Lost Boys was R-rated, but as we discussed in the last episode, um, it didn't deserve an R-rating. The violence wasn't particularly violent, uh, and the language wasn't particularly bad. There wasn't any kind of sexual conduct that was, well... Uh, there was the one extraneous sex scene, yes. Sure, but... The tribe just triples down on that, and it's just like, uh, the first five minutes of the tribe is just profanity-laden. Uh, parents, if you're thinking about watching this with your kids, don't. Um, I mean, just not just because of the content, but just because of the film. I don't think it's really worth your time. You're absolutely right. It is a reboot. Uh, the lead characters, a brother and sister, are their last name is Emerson. They are essentially heavily implied that they are Michael and Star's kids and that Michael and Star before the movie are killed in a car wreck. Yes, that is who they're supposed to be, uh, which makes no sense because a secondary character in this film is Edgar Frog, and he has not aged appropriately enough for Michael and Star to have had children and grown up. It's it's bad. It's just bad. Um, I will say that the highlight of the film is, in fact, Edgar Frog. I, I think Corey Feldman does a, a pretty decent job continuing that kind of over-the-top hyperbolic action film quality. You know, terrible one-liners, gruff voice talking like this. And so every time he's on the screen... I, I kind of enjoyed it. Like, I wouldn't recommend this film to anybody, but if you gotta, he's the reason that you're gonna you're gonna suffer through the 90 minutes. 
uh, following the tribe is The Thirst. Came out two years later. Did you get a chance to watch The Thirst? This one I did get to catch. I love it when I can watch a movie and then summarize that movie best using a line from the movie. And in this case, that line is... Mm. Which is like Corey Feldman's <laughs> oft-repeated line because he just goes around grunting for the first half an hour of the film at everyone who comes along. And it's kind of interesting to hear you talking about Reign of Frogs and the tribe because so much information that comes in the thirst contradicts what you just said because, like, he refers to talking to Michael and Star in the thirst. They're not dead. <laughs> Correct. Michael and Star are never mentioned in the tribe. It is Implied. they removed... It, it's remo- it's implied they removed that scene because they didn't think they were going to make a sequel to The right. Tribe. And uh, it feels like The Thirst is sort of the spiritual successor to Lost Boys. It, it uses a ton of Lost Boys lore. It mentions all the characters. Every character that was essentially in The Lost Boys is mentioned by name. They use uh, some of your favorite filming styles. Like, the, we never see the flight, but we definitely get the implied flight through camera work. No, we um, see the flight. We, we do, but, like, we get those scenes, those cut scenes where, like, the, the kind right. of shaky cam moving through large cities where we're not seeing them flying as a group. We see them. There's a really good plummeting scene yes. and a landing scene more so than we see the kind of flying. But okay, that's it definitely fair. feels like they watch Schumacher's work. And it is a low-budget film that was made, I think, in Central America or Greece. I can't remember where it was made. It was it was not filmed in the United States. But I enjoyed it. I don't think it's a good movie. I, no. I'll just go ahead and say that right now. It's not a good film. But it's a fun film. It's a, I feel like I would could safely call this a good-bad movie. I did check my phone quite a bit during this, but it has a fairly short runtime. It's about 90 minutes long. It scratched the itch, and I think they figured out what makes a good sequel to The Lost Boys when no one else from The Lost Boys except for Edgar and Alan Frog are going to be available, and that is focus on Edgar and Alan Frog Vampire Hunters. I disagree a little bit. I don't feel like this felt like a Lost Boys movie to me. Like, I agree. It's a good, bad movie. It is definitely a bad movie. There is some parts of it that are just so bizarrely over the top that you can't help but just laugh and smile at just how ludicrous this thing is. But it didn't feel to me like it was connected to Schumacher's work in any way. Like, it felt to me like they had never even seen the original Lost Boys. And there's so much of the mythology that they change. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not that you have to make your first kill it's that you have to feed. Garlic does work against these vampires. Uh, They changed my biggest complaint about the original Lost Boys. They changed the teeth. But now it's that their canines are always protruding. And when they vamp out, all of their teeth become sharp. Um, It just, to me, it didn't, it it felt like, okay, we're carrying over the Frog Brothers, kind of, mostly Edgar. But then that's it. Like nothing else from the original Lost Boys came over other than just some name dropping. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. Um, I I agree on all of those points. I just feel like if the only two people that you're going to get are the actors who play Edgar and Alan Frog, it is going to have to be a different movie because as we discussed in the last one, Lost Boys does something interesting where it has three different plots, right? We have a kid's plot, a teen plot, and an adult plot similar to Stranger Things. This is just the kids turned adults bad vampire hunter it has probably more in common with something like blade than it does the lost boys as far as its <laughs> mythology because we have raves it's very rave heavy that was my thought at the rave scene was oh somebody saw blade more than they saw lost boys 
I rewatched Blade fairly recently, probably in the last three months, and it's such a fabulous film. It but is. That's that is not what we're talking about. No. But I just you know just props to Blade for 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 doing it before Marvel took off, and I cannot wait for the new version. That being said, yeah, uh, would I mean would you recommend the Thirst for people who like vampire films? Um, if you are looking for a bad movie that you can enjoy. If you're looking for something that you can watch while you're consuming, partaking, whatever, then yeah, sure. But if you're just yeah. going to sit down and just you're sober and you're just looking for a good vampire movie, no, this is this is not it. <laughs> that's that's fair. I bought uh, a four movie set for like ten bucks. It was all three of Lost Boys plus Queen of the Damned. That's you know, like so weird was one it to throw in? <laughs> I know, and I already had. Uh, I basically got it for The Thirst because I couldn't find it solo. Uh, it was, basically, I got four of those movies for the same price as I would have been for The Thirst. I am a completionist. I wanted to have them all on my shelf. It's nice that I don't have four DVDs taking up the same space. I do have the Blu-rays of Lost Boys. Of course I do. But yeah, there we go. Uh, the last thing um, in this kind of mythology of this is The Lost Boys Volume 1 by Tim Seeley. It is a dire- It's a graphic novel. So it is a complete story. It is supposed to be a sequel to The Lost Boys. It completely ignores the tribe and the thirst, which to its benefit. <laughs> uh, and it takes place like a year after Lost Boys, maybe. Um, and it does kind of feed off of, pun intended, the original planned sequel, which is The Lost Girls, in which David survives and there is another tribe of female vampires. And it is, once again... The Frog Brothers, it is Sam, it is Michael, it is Star. Star gets a little bit more information. But, and again, spoilers. Rafe, are you prepared to be spoiled for this? Sure. Folks, if you if you, if you you don't want to be spoiled for this one, if you like The Lost Boys and you think you'd like to read a comic, just skip ahead like two minutes. Cool. All right. The main vampire hunter that we are introduced in this one, which we did see in the first movie, but wasn't as a vampire, is Tim Capello, the saxophone player, is in fact a vampire hunter. The reason he wears chains around his neck is to protect his neck from vampires. That oil on his skin is holy oil, so that vampires can't touch him. And he does beat vampires to death as his saxophone while screaming, I still believe. He is a holy vampire hunter. Um, And it really expands on Grandpa's usage of the Santa Carla Vampire Hunters Club. Um, and explains that like that club has been there forever, and they've been like that's the reason they stick around in Santa Carla. So there we go. Uh, welcome back for those who uh, skipped ahead. I uh, hope you didn't get anything spoiled. But all right, Drew. Yes. Since we're already talking about Lost Boys, the the, the franchise, we normally dedicate this space to related media stuff that we thought about while we were watching the movie. Or yeah, sure. Do you want to go ahead and jump into that as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you would definitely want to talk about a couple of other vampire movies that. Uh, certainly feel similar to Lost Boys, but wouldn't be considered a Kids on Bikes movie. So we could talk about them briefly here instead of, of dedicating an episode to them. Which ones did you want to talk about? Well, the only one that really came to my mind, because I had another one that came to mind, but it is a Kids on Bikes movie, so I'm shutting it over. It's 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 not in the room right now because we may eventually get to it. Um, okay. but, but Fright Night came to mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Fright Night... God, it's interesting because Fright Night comes very close to being a Kids on Bikes movie, doesn't it? Especially yes. the first one, not so much the second one. So here's a beautiful thing about Fright Night. Fright Night is a vampire story set in suburbia um, and the idea that a new neighbor moves in. And it's sort of a burbs. Right. Summer of 84, but with vampires. In We're that also going to take neighbors... that one and put it out in the out, out of the room. It's not in the room right now. Correct. <laughs> and, and of course, we're talking about Summer of 84, not the burbs. But um 
Uh, yeah, so our uh, Brewster in the first one, his neighbor, Chris Randon, moves in next door. He has a fantastic sweater collection. And uh, he has to basically convince people that, that his, his next door neighbor is a vampire. Uh, and he has a girlfriend. And, and the beautiful thing about Fright Night, and I, I would say that it comes very, very close to being a Kids on Bikes movie. The thing that I would most like to talk about as far as a Kids on Bikes movie, and I wish it was, is the background adult character is uh, the host of a horror movie. It's like a Saturday night horror movie uh, special uh, from the local cable. And like that's right. such a great character to turn to because it's like, kid, I just watch movies. You know, it's like, yes, but you know, like you need to help us kill this vampire. There, there are three teens in that one, so it does sort of, kind of sort of meet it, but I think it's just not kids on bikey enough for us right. to really discuss it. But there are some really good inspirations. I think if you were if you were running a game and you only had two players, that would be a good one to just get a little bit of inspiration from. The the ones I'll throw in as, as well, you know, just if you were looking for how to build your, your vampire mythology, don't be afraid to look at, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which mm-hmm. does a great job of establishing mythology. And Read a synopsis of Twilight. You know, you don't need to watch the movies, but, uh, you know, Twilight does its own vampire thing. Interview with a vampire, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Those are good resources to go to for building a vampire mythology. They're not going to help you the kids on bike side of things. But again, I think that mythology is so important. What, what do you think of? I mean, if I were, I think Fright Night would be the first thing I would come to if I was looking for a non-kids on bikes movie. Uh, Near Dark is another really good one. That one's really near and dear to my heart. I think I discovered Near Dark and Lost Boys around the same time. So we got Catherine Bigelow. We kind of, it's, Near Dark feels kind of like a more punk version of vampires. And uh, it's pretty, pretty hardcore. I have not uh, I seen mean, that one yet. I need to watch oh, that I, one. I recommend that one. That's a really good one. I, I will say nothing more because I think that's an experience that you should you should probably have if you are a vampire completionist. All right. So that's the, the movie side of things. Drew, on the RPG side. On the on the gaming side, what would we miss, or what have you thought of in the last couple of weeks? Well, I think we really covered the the powered characters a lot more on this episode than we did in the last one. Shame on us! But I think you know, I think we we course corrected, and so that's fine. Sure, um, that's why we have this. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, when I was recommending lasers and feelings, I was not wrong in ex- saying that I think that would work really well. But there's actually a better game, very similar to lasers and feelings, that using the lasers and feelings bones. Uh, and that's Honey Heist by Grant Howitt. Now, in Honey Heist, you are bears who are also criminals, and you have to um, go on a heist to, to, to Honey Con to steal honey. But the oh, he's giving me this you're, look. You're you're bears. You kind of you, oh. you buried the lead there, man. You just kind of went right past that. <laughs> uh, so now we yes. have vampire bears. If we're doing a Lost Boys inspired, no, oh, <laughs> no. Okay. But but the thing that I really like about Honey Heist. So Honey Heist is a one page game. So all the rules are on a single page, explains everything that you need to do. Uh, Rafe, we're going to add that along with um, Fiasco as the games that you and I have to play at some point in time in the near future. Okay. The thing that I think works really well with Honey Heist, so if you if you skip the becoming a bear part, is that as you're playing Honey Heist, you have two stats, basically, your criminal and your bear stat. So if you do a thing that is bear-like, you roll in the bears. If you do a criminal thing, you roll in the criminals. But if you fail your rolls, there's a little scale, and you start right in the middle. If you go too far to the bear side, if you go all the way to the far right side of the bear side, you become totally a bear, and you just wander off. If you fail too many times on the criminal aspect and you go all the way over to the left side versus the criminal side, you betray your group and you start working against them. Mm. And so there's a certain balance that the players have to succeed. And I think this really works with the vampire aspect of it, where 
this would essentially assume that all of you have been bitten and you are trying to kill the head vampire before you completely change or are, I don't know, completely dead or something along those lines. So I think that one were pretty good. We did talk a little bit about focusing on the teen story uh, of Lost Boys. So the Michael and Star aspect of it, there's a little bit more of a romance. There is probably no better game to look at supernatural teen romance than Monster Hearts by Avery Adler. And so I think that one would be really good. Uh, but again, I would definitely have that discussion with your players in your session zero ahead of time to make sure that romance and that sort of physical aspect of a game is what the players want. Uh, so do that beforehand. Uh, I think those are really the games that we probably, gaming aspects we probably should have talked about. And since this is a gaming and kids on bikes gaming in particular podcast, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I've started listening to the Christmas Tide actual play podcast, which is a, a kids on bikes podcast, because I just like listening to people play this game right. uh, as well. And so I've been really enjoying that. Um, everything takes place in Christmas Tide, Ohio. It is a town that is essentially Christmas all year round. Uh, and so they are, each season, the kids are getting one year older. So I've basically finished the first season uh, and they are very young. And so they've created this sort of threat level where the worst thing that can happen is like scraped knees and you get scared at the, at the beginning. So it has a real kind of juvenile romp quality to it where the worst thing that happens is you get scared about stuff, you know, but like they have promised that as their characters age and become teenagers and that will change logistically, uh, the threats become more dangerous it becomes cool. like a little bit more scooby-doo like and then if they become adults then so i've i've been enjoying that and i, I we can put links in the show notes so sure. you know i'm and if you are doing actual play kids on bikes games uh and you want people to find you and listen to your stuff let us know send us emails at the end of the the podcast we'll we'll give our information contact info and you know we see ourselves as a gaming resource right? There's no ego involved. If you want to listen to another podcast, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm happy to recommend other podcasts on this one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I gave up my ego the day I started podcasting. So <laughs> <laughs> I have no ego. I am a podcaster. You know, speaking about people getting in contact with us, it's been about three weeks since we released our Lost Boys episode. Rafe, we've gotten some really amazing exchanges with our listeners. Yeah. I'm excited about this. Hit me with him, Drew. Okay, so here we go. I, I want to talk about a couple of folks. Um, the first one, <laughs> uh, last time, because it is the Lost Boys podcast, uh, and we mentioned that um, Lost Boys is, of course, a dark retelling of Peter Pan with Max playing the part of Peter Pan, I did mention the role-playing game Neverland by Andrew Kolb, and I, I did post, uh, if we talk about a game, I will tag either the publishers or the creators of those games in our tweets just because we want them to know that we're talking about them right and uh this is andrew kolb's response to our post even trying to prepare myself i was still not ready for how fleeting the mention of neverland was <laughs> <laughs> but sorry about that andrew uh but he did go on to say episode review 10 out of 10 love the format and subscribed so oh, appreciate fantastic. that I have pulled Neverland. Neverland was one of my 2020 purchases uh, when it looked like we were never going to leave our houses again. And um, I saw it advertised quite a bit. It sounded like a project that um, I wanted to really look at. Um, it is, of course, kind of a companion piece to the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, but it takes place on Neverland. It's a hex map. It's beautiful. 
Uh, it also has the distinction of being the only role-playing book I have on my shelf of the Green Spine. But it is one of the prettiest books I, I think I own role-playing-wise, uh, and I would definitely recommend that. Maybe we'll talk about it again in the future when we have, I don't know, I think kind of more of a fantasy aspect to it. On our Facebook group for the Never Say Die cast Facebook group, uh, Ray, I, I apologize if I get your last name wrong, Gamond? Ray Gamond says, one, another great episode. Thank you, Ray. Two, I was today years old when I realized that The Lost Boys was a reference to Peter Pan, head exploding uh, emojis. Three, and this is an important one, other than downloading, listening, and commenting here, how can I and we help the podcast? Question mark. I've really enjoyed all three movies you guys have used, need to see Attack the Block, and look forward to more. Does the boy who could fly count? Uh, and the intermissions give a fun behind the curtain look and are enjoyed by me at least equally as much as the core episodes. There's a lot to unpack there in Ray's response. One, super uh, appreciate just responding. Yeah. Two, glad you're liking the episodes. We are, uh, you know, if if our listeners are enjoying as much as we enjoy doing it, then that's fantastic. How do you help the podcast? I mean, listening is great. Going uh, to any, you know, podcast source and rating us or giving us a review there is always helpful. We do have a five-star rating on Apple uh, uh, Podcasts right now. Now, nobody's left any reviews, but we appreciate the five-star rating. That really helps us out. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, I'll I'll go ahead and say this now. Um, If you leave us a five-star rating and you write a review, I have no qualms about reading your review uh, on the podcast. Nope. Assuming that it's appropriate to be read. Um, (laughs) Um, Rafe, how would you like to respond to Ray's mention of The Boy Who Could Fly? Have you seen that one? I, I have, but that's one I think I've only seen one time since it was in theaters. So it's been a very long time. It wasn't on my radar as a Kids on Bikes movie, although you and I did discuss it a, a little bit, and there are definitely elements of it that I could see using. So I, I think I can't give an answer as to whether it is a Kids on Bikes movie right now, but I think I now have impetus to revisit it and see what I think about it at that point. My memory of it is very hazy. I know it takes place in a neighborhood in a small town, so that there's check on that. There is a romance quality to it. Yes. I, um, the adventure part of it, I think it's a Kids on Bikes film, and I, th- I think it's a coming-of-age story. I don't necessarily know if the adventure aspect of it uh, translates into a Kids on Bikes uh, story, because, but we are dealing with a powered individual. I do think that there is, a, as far as bikes are concerned, a big wheels Yes. I think there's a child on a big wheel who has a special, special squirt gun. Uh, <laughs> eventually, but I eventually, but I would have to, I would have to watch that. Also on the on the Facebook's community group, um, so that's Kids on Bikes community on Facebook, fantastic group. Uh, that community, you know, it, we should every episode be singing the praises of that community. The amount of creativity that comes from that group, it is the it is what has inspired this podcast. Um, right. Just the conversations that happened, th- just the um, amazing stuff that they put out. Uh, Danny Norbury says, finally got around to listening, and oh my, what a great podcast you got going. Engaging hosts, thank you. Organized format, thank you. And wonderful insights. Uh, I don't know about that, but sure. Uh, love the <laughs> intermission you. episodes as well. Uh, the fact that anyone's mentioning the intermission episodes is a, a big deal. I'm, I'm really thankful about that because that was sort of not in the original plans. It's something that kind of evolved. And I look forward to these doing these almost as much as I do yeah. uh, our, our, our core episodes. Um, I am a proud subscriber and looking forward to the Lost Boys. Well, I hope I hope we did not disappoint with the the Lost Boys episode or this one. Thank you. We love subscribers. (laughs) Finally, we got this one by Sergio Tester. And 
This is so cool. Thoroughly enjoyed the latest episode. I'm loving your draft pick section. So are we. Oh, that last one was really fun. Curious as to whether the quest, a la Frog Dreaming, is on your list. Will you cover that one at some point? Thanks for the great content. Hey, Rafe, is uh, the quest, a la Frog Dreaming, a la Go Kids, uh, on our list? So I had never even heard of this movie until about a year ago when Drew and I started really honing in on Kids on Bikes movies just in our normal conversation. This podcast wasn't even a thought at that point. We were just kind of enjoying Kids on Bikes stuff. So I had never even heard of this movie. Drew's like, oh, it's one of my favorites. You need to watch it. And I watched it. And I do not have the enthusiasm that Drew has about it. Because he has a nostalgia factor that I don't have. But yeah, it's it's a Kids on Bikes movie. And yeah, it's on our list. It is. And it's actually one that I hope we do because I want Drew and I to have a more in-depth conversation about our different takes on it. Yeah, this, that was one of the films that I think, you know, while Goonies was uh, instrumental in the creation of this. And, and I think the quest was to me sort of what Goonies was to Rafe. I think I said that about Lost Boys too. Um, but you uh, did. Lost Boys was to me in my teen years as Goonies was to Rafe in his preteen years. But yeah, the quest is sort of my kids on bikes. The problem with the quest, and, and just briefly, yes, we will cover it. Even if we have to, before our kids on bikes season is over, we'll discuss it. Even if we have to do a special episode about it. I think the main problem with that movie, this is something that Rafe and I meant, it's less of a kids on bikes movie and more of a kid on bike movie. Right. I hope Rafe will pick it because... As far as the draft is concerned, I want to go first in that draft. Uh, so there's that is my hesitancy for doing it, but I may just have to bite the bullet on that one. I will say that movie does have one of the best adults in all of Kids and Bikes um, films. That being said, let's talk a little bit, unless you have something else. Do we have any more emails that we wanted to specifically nope. shout out for? I don't okay. think so. So... The first time we did this an intermission episode, I think I had eight Kickstarter picks, uh, and I've I've lowered that this time around to about four. I feel like the quality of stuff that's out there is really, really, really good this time around, even if the quantity isn't. Um, but I, Rafe, do you want to go ahead and start us off with uh, the first thing that's on Kickstarter? Because remember, Kickstarter, you know, it's a couple of weeks to a month, so it is fairly time sensitive. I know that folks listening to this two or three years from now, if they get excited about it, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is probably too late for you to, to support those Kickstarters. But for those listening when this drops, uh, we've got a, a couple of them that I think you may want to take a look at. So do you have anything you want to start us off with? I do. Uh, the the first one I have is is currently uh, going on. So it is a uh, limited time. Uh, the other two that I have haven't started yet. They're, they're more uh, anticipation of things to come. So that'll give you a little bit more time. But the first one uh, that caught my eye is called Limitless Heroics, Better Worlds Via Dice and Disabilities 5th Edition. And it is a book that was written to add game mechanics for disabilities, mental illness, and neurodivergence in 5th edition Dungeons and & Dragons. And I kind of like that idea of, of adding that to the game because that also then opens that up to feel a little more inclusive for the player base. Like, you don't have to add that for characters if you don't want to, but if you have someone who wants to get into D&D and feels limited because they aren't represented in the fantasy world, this is a good way of kind of embracing them and bringing them in and say, hey, look, your character can have this same thing and 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 it can be more of, of who you are in the fantasy world. Because a lot of people, like I play fantasy games, and I think Drew and I talked about this before, you know, I, I play fantasy d- games to create a character that I'm not. 
Like it's 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 my imaginary character. It's my fictional character. But there are also very much players out there who play themselves within the game. They just want to be themselves, but in a fantasy environment or a sci-fi environment or such. So I, I like this idea. I haven't uh, gotten to look into it as deeply as I want to. It is ongoing with like 17 days left at the point that we're recording this. But I think it's a good idea. Yeah, um, I... I wasn't aware of this Kickstarter, so I'm very excited that you you brought it up. I will, uh, I'll support it. Just um, <laughs> on the basis of principle, I will yeah. absolutely support it. There was a time where I didn't live where I live now, and you know, I lived in Greensboro, North Carolina. The gaming community there was rabid. A lot of really impressive game designers still live there, and uh, one of the individuals who I gamed with had an ongoing program where they were working to develop free software for 3D printers to create dice for the blind um, nice. and they worked really hard to and it's like had i known that you were going to bring this up i probably would have been a little bit more prepared for it um I, just off the top of my head i don't remember the program or the individual creator so um i will try to put that in the show notes before this goes out or in a, in a future episode but yeah the braille dice super cool um it's a bit of a trick you know because when you create something in a 3d printer there's automatically those lines that are built into it and so right. that can be a little confusing but the the idea was you would be able to do a complete play mat that um would allow players with disabilities to play what you're talking about is very different of course you're talking about playing disabilities within the game and making those disabilities representative um uh, successfully but not necessarily playing it as a bad thing right um, exactly i think there's a there's a lot of stuff i think hero forge fairly recently um published designs where you could actually see what i think they call it the battle chair where it is a uh, a wheelchair that allows you to still go adventuring which i think is a really cool idea and as long as the individuals who are putting these out are people with disabilities themselves or they're consulted i'm i'm going to support this uh, probably as soon as we get done recording. So yeah, that is a fantastic recommendation. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What you got, Drew? Well, uh, on the role-playing side, uh, we talked about Mothership, uh, I think two sessions ago, which is a kind of a dark horror sci-fi. So um, it is an open-source game. So Whole Breach is a, a series of kind of source books for the Mothership game. Uh, and that one ends on February 3rd. So you only have a couple of weeks to support that. But it's got really a great support if you... F- flip through what they're showing on the on the site uh, it looks like it's a really well put together book i love a good put together book you know like uh the artistic part of me loves it when it's set up that reading it isn't just reading information but the the experience of reading a role-playing game can also be exciting i think somebody fairly recent on social media was asking like what game has the best voice in reading its rules like it's not just this is what you do. Roll the dice here. But like inserting some personality. And it feels like Mothership kind of uh, this whole breach has that quality to it. So yeah, between the art and the writing, it looks like it's a, a, it's a good one. So again, ends on February 3rd for role playing games. Uh, my second one is a, uh, a setting world for Dungeons and Dragons uh, for fifth edition. It is coming out in February, so it is not out yet. It is called Sunken Isles. Uh, and the main reason this attracted my attention, because the group that I had been playing with, we had been playing uh, based on Ghosts of the Salt Marsh, which is very much a uh, nautical 
adjacent. Like there, there's, there's like you're in a port city, and some of the adventures require you to go out via boat. But then it, it felt very limited. And this is an official, uh, you know, fifth edition supplement. And I felt, I always felt like I wanted to flesh that out more and give them more mm. to do while they're out at sea and and that kind of thing. So I like the idea of adding this kind of world to it. I don't have a ton of details on it yet because it hasn't come out yet. I, I've just kind of saved it in my. I know it's coming soon, and I plan to as soon as I, I feel like I know more about it, I probably will uh, will will throw my support behind it. Yeah, I, I think most of my next couple of picks are ones that haven't launched yet but are coming out. So which is more beneficial for our listeners who right. you know. I, I know that you and I both are fans of the Adventure Zone and their current adventure, the Ether Sea, does take place in a subaquatic right. world. And I, that I never realized that I kind of wanted to play in that world. It always seemed <laughs> so daunting to do so. And so it's nice to have good supplements, you know, um, things like Spelljammer back in the 80s where you were using that same kind of concept, but for the phlogiston, like this, the, the, the sea within space. That was fun, but it was a concept that didn't really sit well with my players. And I wasn't as an experienced game master at the time, so I probably didn't do it the, the service that it, it deserves. So um, I look forward to taking a look at that. Maybe you'll consider having me uh, in on that game. Sure. Okay, so I have one role-playing adjacent. I have a storytelling game that just launched called uh, Adorablins. It's a storytelling game by Ted Devine. It's cute, and you play goblin-like creatures moving through portals. And it's it is a storytelling game that uses cards to assist in... So you are rolling dice. You have cards to play. But the thing that I really like about it, aside from the art, is it is a family-friendly game. So it's designed to be able to play with young players in mind. And I think that's one of the things that as someone who works with kids on a regular basis, I'm always looking out for good gaming uh, modules or anything that that brings the family. There's a ton of really good games out there for young kids, but I hate to say it, most of them are dumbed down versions of our, our regular kind of role-playing games. And so they're they're simplified. And I don't think that's always doing the players the same kind of service. And what Adorblins looks like it would be really fun for all ages rather than a simple version for all ages the fact that it's pocket sized and you can you can just carry it like that's a thing too you know you go over to someone's house to run a game and between the books and the dice and the miniatures like i i have two bags of holding that i usually fill when i'm going over to run a game in person it's been a long time since i've done that but being able to put it in essentially something the size of a packet of mints uh, appeals to me quite a bit. So um, that's Adorablins, a uh, storytelling game by Ted Devine. All right. Uh, my third is another one that has not launched yet, but is coming soon. Uh, and it is called Siran's Magnificent Walking Marketplace. Oh, and it this, looks so good. Doesn't this look awesome? Uh, it, it has a preview online already where it shows some of the, uh, like a new race and some new you know, subclass ideas for, for different classes and such. Uh, it is a fifth edition expansion, but th- this is a particular interest to me because I've got a new group that just started. Uh, we had our zero session last, uh, like a little over a week ago, and I'm building the world that this is going to take place in now. So like, this is perfect timing for me to be looking at things like this, where I can just go ahead and, and lay the foundation for this in there, even if they don't see it now, because of co- obviously the books aren't out because the Kickstarter hasn't even launched yet, but there's a foundation there for some direction for us to go. It looks amazing. I'm really excited about this one. There's something really appealing to me 
as someone who enjoys the aspect of world building almost as much, if not more so, than, than the actual gameplay sometimes, about making the marketplace a viable environment for gaming. Right. You know, we've really come a long way as an industry and as a hobby in how we explore narrative structure in non-combat situations. Um, and I think I would be just as satisfied playing a game in a marketplace trying to get that thing that my players need by haggling or buying something different and doing trading, I think I would just be just as excited on the outcome of that than I would be killing uh, a random creature. So anytime that someone has really taken the effort to put together a good world where that's sort of the focus, I'm down. And the the, the just the cover, I know, I'm judging it by its cover. Um, <laughs> but sometimes that really works out for you. Again, see Neverland, fantastic cover, fantastic book. No, as soon as I saw that, uh, I, I, put a, a keep a, I put a watch on that one. Um, yep. So I'm glad you brought that up. All right, I have two more, but both of them are role, uh, board games. So the first one is Out, uh, and that is Final Girls 2. Uh, and this is a solo board game by Van Ryder Games. Uh, last year... Final Girls 1 launched, and it did like a million dollars. You knew we were going to get a sequel. I haven't played it yet, so let me just go ahead and say that right now. I have not <laughs> played Final Girls. I am backing Final Girls 2 for a very important reason, but let me kind of explain very shortly what this is. Uh, it's a solo game in which you are playing a group that has that is taking place in a horror movie. Now, they don't have the rights to very specific IPs, so what we have are IP analogs. So, you know... There is a Freddy Krueger style one. There's a uh, Friday the Thirteenth Camp Crystal Lake, which I think is called Happy Trails. There's, mm-hmm. um, you know, so you your existing is the final girl you're trying to survive. And what's neat about it is you versus the game, but you can, in the same way that something like Pandemic, you can scale the difficulty level for those who have played it so much that it, it kind of gets boring to beat it over and over again. You can scale the difficulty level, and you can do the same thing here as a solo game. Rafe, you and I mentioned a couple times already on this podcast how much we like solo gaming. Uh, This one, I like the horror genre. I like solo gaming. Uh, You do need the core box, which is roughly 20 bucks. What this Kickstarter is for is, I think, a set of new five new expansions that you can play in. So if you're like, hey, I would really like to play in a Friday the 13th horror game as a final girl. Great. This is fantastic. So, of course, if I'm going to be backing this almost without question... The scenarios that uh, that are existing would have to be something along the lines of the final girl in Alien and the final girl in The Thing. So the they Thing, have, I saw that. <laughs> yes. So they have a Thing analog game. You know, you can buy the entire expansion, which is like all five games. You can buy single ones, which I have done. I've just bought the Thing one so far. I may update it to get the Alien one. The important thing, too, is if I'm going to make a recommendation for a game I haven't played, I'm going to at least consort the experts. Um, I went on to Board Game Geek. They have given Final Girl, the first series, an 8.6 rating out of 10. It's one of the highest ratings I've ever seen on Board Game Geek. Uh, They can be uh, a cantankerous lot sometimes, but 8.6 is enough for me to just go, sure, I've got 20 bucks. I'll drop that on that. So that is going to be my recommendation for that one. I have one last one. Uh, Rafe, when you and I were kids in the 80s, there was a board game that I can't believe they actually made because it was inspired by Mad Max. We've already mentioned Mad Max once, uh, but 
there's a game called Thunder Road where it was basically just a single board game. It was a strip uh, of road <laughs> and you had to get from point A to point B. But like things like helicopters and, and ravagers were trying to, as your opponents were trying to get you, stop you from getting from point A to point B. And it's one of those things where every once in a while that game will pop up and I'll remember how much I enjoyed it, how much I enjoyed playing with the cars and I'm thinking, like, oh, it would be so great to own one of the originals. And they're very expensive. I mean, clearly, any anything that was popular when we were young, um, it's going to have its collectors, and it's going to be hard to get a good condition one. Launching at the end of January, they are doing... Someone has bought the rights for uh, Thunder Road, and they're going to be launching a new version called Thunder Road Vendetta. It launches uh, the 25th of January. So, I mean, am I going to back this without even thinking? Probably We'll see. Uh, they haven't they haven't talked about how much it's going to be, but uh, I think there's probably a good chance. Anyway, uh, for those of you who are roughly the same age as I am, um, that might be of interest to you. And that, really, I think that's it for me. I think there's a the the four that I, I think the seven that we've talked about here are actually quite good. I'm pretty pretty excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Drew. You you have not teased it throughout the episode, but the big thing about our intermissions is this is when we reveal the next movie that we are going to be watching and covering. You 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 normally tease it throughout. You haven't so much this this week. Uh, I'm wondering if you're worried that your pick is going to be a disappointment, or you just think it's so powerful that everybody's just going to lose their mind when you uh, announce it. But it is your pick. I got Lost Boys last month, so it is now your turn. What are we watching? for our next movie selection. All right. I did a lot of research for this one. I, I I was down to like four different picks. And so one of the things I've really liked, I just want to recap the ones we've talked about. So let's talk a little bit about what, we, what we've talked about so far with our first three movies. You've got The Goonies, right? So that's kind of your kid venture, perfect setup. It's adventure. It's got traps. We've got Attack the Block where we have an alien invasion and it kind of subverts that Goonies trope where instead of being chased by something... And not being able to fight it, you're being chased by something, but you can fight it, base under siege. Then we have the Lost Boys, which is, a, again, similar to Attack the Block Horror. Again, combat, but we brought in super-powered characters that the players can play. So I wanted to do something that was tonally very different. And I had a couple of different options, but I think... This is going to be a really interesting one, Rafe. I think you and I are going to do more work on this one than we've done on any of the other ones because this story is very different tonally from the other ones. Um, it's not a traditional... It's, I mean, it's a kids on bikes movie, but it's not necessarily the way we would define kids on bikes. It, it's going to require some work to to gamify it. Uh, it's a, an American period piece. It takes time in our, our past when um, the world was very different. I, I will say that one of the things I love about this film is you can complement the gameplay with an amazing soundtrack. You've got four friends in this film, all played by actors who would go on to have phenomenal careers. Okay, um, I think I, I mean, you, you've done all this talking, and just now I think I figured it out. I mean, you know, uh, we talk about being in a small town that certainly takes place in a small town, but part of the movie is they have to leave the small town to get more information about answers for a dead boy. And Rafe, most importantly... This is not Stand By Me. Because one of the things that the three films that we've talked about all have in common, you know, as widely varying as they are, is they're all boys. Like, our teams are comprised almost exclusively of boys. Yes, there are female characters involved in these groups, but 
I, I think we've talked about how inconsequential they are. Uh, and that is less about their characters and less about the actors and more about just the how cinema views this genre, right? So I've chose a film where all of our leads are female. And this is a film from 1995. And this is Now and Then. Oh, okay. This, and I, I did not think that was the direction you're going. Interesting. This has been well, on my list for a while, and I have not watched it. So this will be interesting. This is one of those films where um, this movie, and I don't want to give away too much about this, but you were thinking I was going to say Stand By Me, right? I mean, like, that's really, like, that's... The problem is, I and I am guilty of doing this, is that this film wasn't particularly successful in that a lot of people compared it when it came out to Stand By Me. Oh, it's just Stand By Me with girls. And I know eventually you and I are going to want to talk about Stand By Me because it is one of those films that was such an important part of our childhoods. But if we do Stand By Me first and then do Now and Then, we will have no choice but to compare the two of them in a way that I think will will not benefit Now and Then. I've watched this film twice in the last week just to double check to make sure I could create a good episode about it. I've read think piece articles about it. I've I've I even have more research I need to do, but I think it's important that we look at this genre from a completely different perspective and we change the way coming of age adventure stories are told and how we gamify adventure. And I think this is going to be this might not be particularly popular, but I think it's going to uh, really essentially highlight what this podcast means to to create a way to capture the spirit of a film. So sure. that's that's the next one that we're going to do is going to be 1995's Now and Then. Um, and I'm just going to do one little warning for for folks who haven't seen this. There is a <laughs> there is a strange like watching a film made in 1995 now. There's a lot of red flags with with just kind of the behavior of characters and representation. Again, it's an incredibly white film, just like <laughs> this will be like the third very white film that we've watched. Uh, but there's a lot of naked teen butts uh, in this. Uh, and it's a, it's a weird thing because I, it, they're all boys, but like it, it's very weird to see that for characters who are clearly supposed to be under the age of 18. Um, and so I'm just giving you fair warning now <laughs> before like I was... Very surprised when that happened. It was not a film that I had watched uh, growing up. So just, you know, fair fair warning for that one. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited. This will be interesting. All right. We're going to be discussing now and then in roughly two weeks' time. Until that time, Rafe, where can our listeners get in touch with us? Uh, they can email us at the Never Say Die Podcast at gmail.com. They can find us on Facebook at the Never Say Die Cast group. Please join us and participate in conversations there. We're on Twitter at Never Say Die Cast. Uh, you can find each of us individually on Twitter as well. I am on Twitter at as Town Hess, T A L N H E S S. And I'm at Drew. M. Meyer, that is M-E-Y-E-R. You can also find me and my other podcast that I do, Who and Company, a Doctor Who podcast, at Who and Company by searching that on any of your podcast finders. 
Right. And my other podcast is called Have Not Seen This. It is uh, kind of the first half of this show, movie discussion. We don't get into the game side of things, but it's a it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song and Megan Daly for our show artwork. And if you like what you heard, as we mentioned earlier, please leave us a review. It helps others find the show and it makes us feel loved and wanted. Uh, I think we already said we don't have egos, though, so I don't know that the loved and wanted is all that important. You know what? I don't think you need an ego to still want to feel loved and wanted. Um, (laughs) uh, So, until that time, even if you forget the most iconic part of a vampire film, the saxophone player, never say die.